Hey guys, welcome to Calvary HSM. We are a place where we want to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello, hello. What is poppin' HSM? How are we? We good? Hello? Is anybody out there? Doesn't seem like it. Is anybody out there? Jeez. Guys, I know it's spring break, but come on. We need a little bit of energy in this place. Go ahead and take a seat if you haven't taken a seat already. Did you guys like that summer camp music video? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there was a bunch of new people that came in tonight that were like, what the heck was that? Every year, it's high school ministry tradition. Oh, now you guys be quiet. That's nice. Big loud noise. Every year, the high school ministry team will make a music video, like a parody song of like something super current, super cool. And this year, we were like, what if we did a throwback? And so we threw it back to Hey Ya, and it was really fun to film. Is this mic giving us trouble, Chris, or are we good? I probably, he's like, no, it's a little bit. I can switch to a handheld if need be. You just give me the word. Um, Anyways, but hello, my name is Sophia Hartman. I am the high school ministry intern for this year, and it is a blessing to be back with you guys today. For those of you who I haven't met, thanks for the screams. Can we say hi to all of our Uganda team members that just came back and they're here? Literally cannot believe it. That is quite the rally if I've ever seen it before. They literally, you guys, at three o'clock, pulled up in vans, got out of the van, and they came from where, Amsterdam? And they literally drove here, and half of them showered and came right back to church. So that's called loving Jesus, amen? Coming into his house, being with his family. So hey guys, today, we're gonna have so much fun today because we're gonna talk about a super serious topic. No, I'm just kidding. We're talking about repentance today. Repentance and revival. We're in a new series. It's starting literally today and it's called Revival. We've got the next four, I think four or five weeks of revival coming your way. And we're gonna talk about what does revival mean? What does it look like in the modern day church? Is it a big outburst of a move of God? Is it within our hearts? We're gonna talk about all those dynamics over the next few weeks. We've got a bunch of awesome speakers coming to you guys. And I was blessed with the opportunity to uh, be the first one to start talking about revival. And so, uh, but before I get started, I wanna introduce you guys to some people because they came out. You guys know my family always comes when I talk, right? It's very sweet, it's very kind. Well, our family got a new addition. My sister's getting married in 27 days. She's back there. On her right is Levi, my new brother-in-law. And then on Carly's left is his two parents, Karen and Dave. So give it up for my family. So exciting. Carly and I look nothing alike, so it's okay if you don't think we look alike. She looks like a clone of my father. Anyways, um, I look like a friend. We all go out shopping, and they're like, oh, who's your friend? I'm like, I'm, I'm a Hartman, too, okay? I'm, I'm, my, their blood runs through my veins. Um, if you guys ever seen The Fairly Odd Parents, my dad's a creative of Fairly Odd Parents. Anyways, just throwing that out there. You guys are also like 12, so let's, you know, the show came out a long time ago, which makes me feel 108. Um, Anyways, so we're going to pray and then we're going to jump right in. Would you guys pray with me really quick? Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for this Sunday. Lord, we thank you, like Maddie said, that our Uganda team got back safe and sound. Lord, we pray for Pastor Aaron, who's actually still in Uganda uh, with his family and friends. Lord, we thank you that you are just giving him rest and replenishment and refilling his heart, uh, ready to come home to us, um, burning with fire in his heart for you. And Lord, we just thank you for this message on revival. 
Holy Spirit, have your way in this place tonight. Do whatever you want to do. We yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 3? We are going to read a big old chunk of scripture, and then we're going to dissect it and go into it and figure out what it actually means. So Matthew chapter 3, I'm reading out of the ESV, if that helps anybody. All right, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have our Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able even from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Even Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Wow, that's quite a mouthful. So we have a lot of characters in this story. We have a lot of new people that we're kind of getting introduced to. Really quick backstory on this period of time in history. The Old Testament ends with the book called Malachi. Malachi was a prophet amongst a series of prophets who would hear from God and tell Israel what he said. But after Malachi, there was 400 years of silence from God to the Israelites. So it was basically like Malachi was the last prophet, and then we don't see or hear anything from the Lord until the book of Matthew. It was when we, when we hear about Jesus being born, and we hear about his lineage, and then we hear about the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and telling her that he's going to be born. So there's 400 years of silence. Then Jesus and John are born, John being Jesus' cousin, fun fact, John, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. And um, so we don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden we flash forward 30 years into the future after John the Baptist was born and Jesus was born. And John the Baptist is this guy who was covered in camel's hair. He wore it as a garment and he had this leather belt around him. You want to throw up those pictures for me of John the Baptist? I got some pictures from the internet of what John the Baptist might have looked like. You know, just a rough go at a man that wears a camel's hide as his outfit with a leather belt around his waist with wild honey and I'm sure bug legs in his teeth because he ate locusts and wild honey as his diet, which is disgusting. And now standing really grossly in a gross river that I was actually in not too long ago. We all went to Israel, my family and I, and we just got baptized in the Jordan, freezing cold water, fish everywhere. 
And he's standing in there and he's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we go from 400 years of silence into who is this John the Baptist guy? What is he saying to us? And not only does he look kind of homeless and disgusting and standing dirty, filthy in this river, calling people unto repentance, but he points out these people named the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he starts calling them names. He calls them snakes. He calls them vipers. And he says, you guys need repentance most of all. And so it's this interesting scene. Jesus hasn't even set foot near the Jordan yet, okay? This is happening like right before he's about to walk up, get baptized, and God's voice comes from heaven. So we're not even at the epic part of the story quite yet when we hear John calling the Pharisees unto repentance. But this is who John the Baptist was. He was the one that in Isaiah 40, we can throw that scripture up there, Isaiah 40, chapter three, or excuse me, chapter 40, verse three says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So John the Baptist goes, this is me. Isaiah was talking about me. And so he's the one who's preparing the way for Jesus. He's saying it's time to repent because the Lamb of God is here to save us. But he points out these people, the Pharisees, who we're going to talk about in just a second. And he points at them and he says, you brood of vipers. Basically like, y'all tripping. Woo, don't want to drop my Bible. But he's like, you guys are tripping. You guys are walking around this place thinking that you don't have anything wrong with you, that you have nothing to repent of when in fact you do. So let's dive into who the Pharisees are first so we can see why they needed repentance in the first place. And then we're going to talk about how this applies to us right now in April in 2023. So who were the Pharisees and Sadducees and why did John rebuke them? They were the religious leaders of the day. So they were basically like spiritual police officers. In the Old Testament, we've all heard of the Ten Commandments, correct? Right? Prince of Egypt, anybody? Ten Commandments? We all know what we're talking about. We all love that movie too, don't we? Great soundtrack. But the Ten Commandments... Right, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet thy neighbors, whatever, right? We heard all of these thou shalt nots, and there's 10 of those, and then the book of De Deuteronomy is a list of 613 laws that also come after these 10 commandments, like you can't have piercings, you can't eat pork, you can't get tattooed, you can't do this when it's the morning time, you can't do this when it's the evening time, which, by the way, I was just in Israel, so if you ever heard the word kosher, not super fun for us Americans, because that means you can't have dairy and meat in the same meal, so cheeseburgers don't exist in Israel, and it sucks. And I didn't realize how much dairy I ate with meat, but all of a sudden it was ripped away from me and I was like, no, this is why I'm glad I love Jesus because he says I can have all the meat and dairy together that I want. But that's the least of our concerns, right? So there's 10 commandments, 613 laws, and God says if you can't keep one, you basically can't keep them all. You miss one, you've missed them all. And so this is why just to flash forward for a second, this is why we need a savior because Jesus came to not just fulfill the law, but to get rid of it. Because it's impossible for you to keep up with 623 commandments, right? Who has an ear pierced in here? I know I have like seven, right? Who, I would say tattoos, but you guys technically are too young to do that. Who has ever eaten bacon? All you vegetarians out there, right? So you guys have already broken two. Let's get into the more serious stuff. Who's ever lied? Everyone's like, 
two hands, right? So these are all things that you, in the Old Testament, you miss one, you miss them all, which is why John, dirty John the Baptist with, you know, bugs in his teeth, like we talked about, honey in his beard. I'm sure that was, sure he was a looker for the ladies, that's for sure, with honey in his beard. That's kind of nasty. But he's saying, you have to repent because if you can't keep one, you can't keep them all, but I'm offering you something better, right? In Jewish culture, you have one holiday a year to go and atone for all of your sins, Imagine holding on to all of the sin you've committed in one year and you only get to talk to God about it on one day. You'd be like on the floor weeping, Lord, I'm so sorry, like keeping a list in your notes app of like, and then I did this because she said this. And that's, I mean, it's too much to do. Praise God for Jesus, our savior. But he looks at the Pharisees and he's like, you guys are a brood of vipers. And here's why. In Matthew 23, 27 through 28, it says, woe to you, this is Jesus talking to them, it says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are all like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what is a whitewashed tomb? I want to focus on that just for a quick second. In Israel when they would have big holidays, like Purim is a holiday that we just got to see celebrated in the streets. There's people dressed up as all sorts of characters in the streets. There's like costumes and all this stuff, and it's amazing. But that meant if there was a holiday in Israel, all the you know, surrounding countries were coming in to party, right? Because Israel could throw a raging, raging Purim party or whatever party it was coming up. They have like a billion feasts in the Old Testament. You can read about them if you're on the Bible reading plan. Shout out, it's in the back if you need it. We're on month uh, four of that. But they would have these big festivals that would come through the city and because tombs were just like, you know like when you go to a strip mall and it's like nail salon, pho place, boba place, like they're all just kind of like one after the other, maybe a little house, residential. Tombs were just like that. You would just walk by them. It was normal practice for people's bodies just to be laying in these tombs. They looked like regular everyday buildings. But when people would come into town, when the festivals would begin, they looked kind of gross. And so they would paint them white so that the city would look beautiful. But I don't care how much paint you put on a tomb, what's inside? A dead person. Hello. A dead person that's, whose corpse is rotting. I'm sure it smelled. I'm sure there were all sorts of animals eating it. We had a bird visit us this morning. If you were here at the 11 a.m., a bird literally flew out of the corner of the screen this morning. And so I'm sure birds were eating the flesh of these people who passed away. But it was normal to have these tombs that were whitewashed. And so like Jesus is saying here in Matthew 23, he says, Pharisees, you are like these whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside. You're performing on the outside as something that you're not. You're lying because on the inside of you is lawlessness and uncleanness and unrighteousness. And so John, as we back, you know, track back in time to when right before Jesus gets baptized, John is saying the same thing to them. He's saying, woe to you. It's time for you to repent because this is what the Pharisees would do. Let's take an example of the story of the woman who gets caught in adultery. Has anybody heard that story before? Yeah, little nod. Okay, we've all heard the story of the woman caught in adultery. But we hear it a lot from Jesus' perspective, right? He's the sweetest, most beautiful savior ever. Gets on his knees, he writes something in the sand, and he looks at the woman, and we hear a lot about Jesus and the woman, but let's talk about the Pharisees for a second. The Pharisees somehow, some way, find out that a woman is committing adultery. I'm sure they had an inside scoop 
from the, the man in the issue, but we won't go into that whole deal. So they get the inside scoop. They drag this woman out. I'm sure she didn't have anything on. Maybe a bed sheet she could have grabbed, but highly unlikely. They drag her through the rocks, through the dirt, and the streets of Jerusalem, and they throw her at the feet of Jesus, and they say, what are you going to do about her? Because she deserves to be stoned. She broke the law. She's committing adultery. We caught her in the act. Jesus, what are you going to do about it? Whereas the Pharisees, full of sin themselves, needing atonement themselves, they throw this woman right caught in the act of adultery. They throw her at the feet of Jesus, and they say, Jesus, what are you going to do about it? And then we see our beautiful king get on the ground. He writes something in front of the woman, and he looks at all the Pharisees, and he says, hey, if any of you can claim that you are without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. Throw the first rock. Come on, anybody? It's probably like 40 or 50 of them standing there. What do you have to say? No, and the oldest to the youngest of the Pharisees start dropping their rocks because they know Jesus called them out. He's like, you guys are pointing the finger at this woman when you yourselves are full of sin, full of unrighteousness. You're a whitewashed tomb, beautiful on the outside, pompous on the outside, displaying on the outside that you're a great person, that you tithed a million shekels and it worked and God loves you now. But all of a sudden we look on the inside of you and there's only death to be found. And honestly, guys, sometimes in this Christian life, we feel the exact same way. We get saved at five, 10 years old, or maybe you got saved just a few weeks ago, or maybe you'll get saved tonight. And we'll go along this Christian walk, and on the outside, right, let's take my life for example, a worship leader. Wow, isn't that spectacular? She looks like she's got it all together. She can sing, and her arms are in the air. But what, what did I do last night? What did I do two weekends ago that nobody knows about? What sin is harbored on the inside of my heart? Right, we play this Pharisee role a lot. Sometimes in these Bible stories, we like to think we're the good guy, like we're Jesus on the ground being like, I got you, sweetheart, I'll save you. When really sometimes we're the Pharisees going, but, but I lead worship, I'm better than that person who can't you know, keep a, a pitch. Am I the better Christian because I can perform on the outside, but I still have sin on the inside of me? Now, you don't have a sinful nature in Christ Jesus, right? Because he removed that out of you when you got saved. But can we still mess up? Of course. And so sometimes we live in this double life like Pharisees do, where on the outside they seem to be perfect and nothing seems to be wrong, but on the inside we're dying. There's dead man's bones on the inside of us. And we can't reconcile the two because we think that once we said yes to Jesus, we never had to repent again. Repentance doesn't have to be this thing, guys, where we're at our bedside on our knees every night going, God, please forgive me because I looked at my friend in class and my teacher got mad, and God, please forgive me because I accidentally ran that stop sign when a tree was covering it, and I really couldn't see the stop sign, and the cops saw me, and then I tried to run away. Like, you don't, how many of you have done that? Okay, sometimes, though, that tree is covering that thing, and I'm like, I can't see it. But we do that, right? Sometimes we overshoot, we overachieve, and we're like, I have to repent for every single little thing that I did. When God is not asking for either end of that spectrum, he doesn't want you as a whitewashed tomb, empty on the inside, but beautiful on the outside, and he also doesn't want you walking around thinking that you're the most guilty, horrible human being that's ever lived. Because guess what? I tried that for 11 years, and it didn't work thought everything I did was wrong, thought everything I said was stupid, thought I didn't have a good joke to tell, thought I wasn't pretty enough, wasn't good enough, wasn't tall enough, wasn't whatever enough, thought I could never measure up to what God wanted. And he was like, Sophia, 
stop. Because when you walk in lockstep with Jesus, his strength allows you to walk free of sin. But it's only by his strength. And when we mess up, because guess what? We will. He calls us unto repentance and he says, let's look at the, what repentance means. Repentance is reviewing one's actions and feeling contrition or regret for past wrongs, but it's also accompanied by commitment to actual actions that show and prove a change for the better. So repentance isn't just about saying, God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry I did it again. God, I'm so sorry. Repentance is going, God, I'm sorry, but your strength is going to carry me so I don't do it again. And you know what, guys? If you trip up a few times, it's okay. He doesn't hate you all of the sudden. You know, okay, when a toddler is learning to walk, like two and a half, well, maybe some of us overachievers are walking at like 10 years old or, or 10 months old, <laughs> 10 years old. <laughs> Could you imagine? But like you look at like a year old toddler walking around stumbling. How many of you can tell that they're gonna fall more than they're gonna walk in their first few tries, correct? Anybody? I'm seeing you nod your heads. All of you babysitters in the house, you're like, I know what's up. I used to babysit, loved it. But even if that child falls a thousand times learning to take steps on their own, do you think that parent is gonna get upset with them? No, what do we do? You guys aren't even parents yet, and you're like, come here, baby, you're doing so good. And you pick them up every single time. Why? Because you know that in their heart, they're trying. You know in their heart that they're leaning on you for strength. You know in their heart that they're in this word, right? Let's take this to the Father and us. When you're in the word, when you're spending time with Jesus, that's where revival begins because revival begins with repentance where you say, God, I fell again, but I'm walking towards you whether it kills me or not. I'm seeking you and I'm going to find you. And this sin, this habit, this ball and chain that's been holding me down for 17, 16 years, this porn addiction that I literally cannot ever view my life without, I know you are going to save me from this. Because his hand is always extended. His love is always over you. There's a difference between the commandments in the Old Testament of thou shalt not, right? Thou shalt not have any gods before me. Jesus in Matthew, we're just in Matthew all over the place tonight. In Matthew 22, they ask Jesus, they're like, Jesus, this is the Pharisees again, being sassy with Jesus, which he rebuked them more than he rebuked anybody. But they go, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law, right? Out of 623, Jesus, which one's the best one? And Jesus replies and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The whole Old Testament, Jesus is saying, leans on these two commandments. You will love the Lord your God, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. The way we beat this thing, the way you beat out that sin, rather than thinking God is a taskmaster who's trying to just you know, the, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me and correct me and beat me up along the path to get to Jesus. He says, if you love me and you love your neighbor, you'll see everything I have in store for you. Because repentance isn't supposed to be every single moment of the day thinking that you're the worst person ever because you guys, you have two commandments to live up to. Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And the second one being love your neighbor as yourself. I wrote this down, and I, this is kind of just sums up what, what I want to say on this topic, but the Pharisees did not have love. The Pharisees were all about this woman caught in adultery, killer Jesus. And what happens at the end of that story? Right? We know they all start dropping their stones, and Jesus looks into the eyes of the woman caught in adultery, and he says, where are your accusers now? Where are they? They all had to drop their stones. They left. And he says, go and sin no more. Sweet King Jesus says, go and sin no more because he knows that sin will bring her right back into that place where she feels like the scum of the earth. You know, the only reason we stand up here and we preach to you guys and we encourage you guys in small groups to not sin and not fall back into that thing is not because we don't think those things are fun or at least enjoyable for a few moments. We know that in the end, those things will kill you. They'll bring you to a point where either you're physically harmed or emotionally harmed or so spiritually damaged that you don't even think God wants any part with you. But Jesus took the beating on his body so that you could look at God free and clear of all sin and shame. He took it on his body so that you didn't have to. That story of the woman caught in adultery is almost a precursor to what Jesus experienced on the cross where he took the pain. He took the persecution so that that woman could walk free. And so the Pharisees did not have love. Love is what compels us not to sin. The law kept us from sin only because we didn't want to suffer punishment. So the only reason the Israelites would not, or would keep the law, the 623 laws, the only reason they would keep it is because they knew if they didn't, punishment was on its way. But when you fall in love with somebody, you don't want to mistreat their heart or dishonor them, right? When you guys get in relationships and you love that boy or love that girl or whatever it is, you want to do your best to honor them. You don't want to mistreat them. You don't want to hurt them. You know, my parents don't cheat on each other, not because it's just the wrong thing to do. I mean, maybe that could hold up for a few years, but you see a, a, a fancy newcomer come by and you're like, what's that? The reason they don't cheat on each other is because they love each other. And so love is what it's compelling them not to sin rather than just saying, well, it's kind of a bad thing to do. Maybe we shouldn't. Because how many times have you been told by your parent that that thing that you do is bad, right? Like a billion. But you do it anyways. But with love in your heart toward a man named Jesus, you're going to see that it compels you not to sin. Why? Because you love him. Because in John 15, 14, the Bible says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so Jesus wrapped up 10 commandments of the law of the thou shalt nots into two commandments. Thou shalt, right? Beautiful. And they both have to do with love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the way to conquer sin is by love. You know that falling in love with Jesus is what will help you on the road to repentance into revival with him? Because guys, revival, I hate to break it to you. Yes, revival happens in big church buildings. Yes, I told you my story a few months ago where I encountered Jesus at a conference that, I was, in Florida, that was in Florida Changed my life forever. But you know what kept the revival in my heart afloat for all these years? Is that revival is actually founded in my relationship with Jesus. Every morning, on my couch, with my little YouTube background music on. 
That's how the flame of love between me and God stays lit. And the reason I can say that I walk free and clear of sin is because his strength is what I lean on when temptation comes. Because guess what? Temptation's gonna come. It's always gonna come. Jesus himself was tempted in the desert by the devil himself. But the reason Jesus was tempted and was still the man who knew no sin was because when you're tempted, you don't have to accept it and draw it in and act on it. You can rebuke it with the word. You can rebuke it with the love of God that you have found in relationship with him. And so I would love to say that this whole revival series is going to like change our lives and you guys are all going to get like slain in the spirit and pass out on the floor because that's what we saw on Instagram when we watched the Asbury revival videos, which are amazing. And I don't want to negate what God did there because I'm sure people's lives were changed. Right now in Israel, actually, there's a huge revival of Christians going on. We saw videos. We're like, why didn't happen that? Why didn't that happen when we were there? But can I just tell you that the only way HSM has a revival is if you all individually are with Jesus on a daily basis, that's the only way. Because guess what, guys? You're gonna be sustained. Because I promise you, like summer camp, okay? Let's go to summer camp. Who's been to summer camp in this room? I love that hand flick right there by this queen. She was like, I have, Sophia. Pick on me. But summer camp, we go to summer camp or winter camp or whatever it may be, and we're like, Jesus. And like the Uganda team that just came back, they're like, I just want to worship because I was just in Uganda and the kids are amazing and God's amazing, right? Which I get because I just went to the Dominican Republic last year. Shout out DR team 2022. And we came back and we were like, I just want to be on my face before God. And then like three weeks later, they're like, how's it being on your face? I'm like, whose face? What are you talking about? Because we go on these trips or we go to camp or whatever it may be and we hit this high and then we come home and we forget that God wants to still be our best friend after the fact. And our phones, hello, our phones come back into our life because we give them up at camp. Just a plug for those of you who've never been to camp, you got to give up your phone for a week. But it's the best thing you'll ever do is give up your phone for a week. But we do that and we come home and we're like, God is nowhere to be found. And he's like, baby, I'm right here. You are the one that turned away. But it's okay because when you turn back, when you repent, when you bring that stuff, that junk that you brought back into your life, when you bring it back to my feet and stop acting like a whitewashed tomb, perfect on the outside, but dying on the inside, you're going to find me. And our relationship can stay afloat. There's this song that I kind of half love, kind of don't love. It's called Sales. It's by Pat Barrett and Stephanie Gretzinger, if you guys have ever heard that song. The only line of the song that I like is the first line, and it says, falling is easy, but staying in love is hard. And when I was in Bible college, I used to be like, that's not true. You can stay in love, and it's perfectly easy. But no, falling for somebody is easy, like at camp, like at, you know, in Uganda or Dominican Republic or wherever you may find yourself. But staying in love with Jesus is hard, only because these distractions in life, they come and they swirl, and all of a sudden it's been six months and you haven't even talked to him. And so let's be a place where repentance is on our lips, not every second of the day, like he's a taskmaster waiting to open up, you know, he's the jailer waiting to open up the cell so you can get out just for a breather. But let's have a heart of repentance of, Lord, I'm not gonna act like nothing's wrong in life. But what I am going to do is I'm going to submit it to your feet and I know that you're going to teach me how to get out of this. Because there's a difference between pretending, right? We all hate phonies. We all hate fakes. We all hate hypocrites, 
right? We can point them out. It's like clickbait. This is so just Gen Z of me to say, but, and I am technically in Gen Z, so I don't want to hear it from any of you, okay? I'm at the very end, but I technically am. My sister's a millennial, so we can throw her under the bus. Um, but it's like clickbait, right? You click on the video, it's like, everybody died. And you click on it, and I'm like, David Dobrik, you're still alive. And you lied to me again. And you lied to me again, but we always click the video because the Tesla's in the air, and we're like, how to do that, right? But it's a lie, it's a dirty lie. So if you want your little quotable, don't be like clickbait, guys. I'm just kidding. But let's not be a place like that where people come in. You know, I used to have a big, like, mm, like, ew, in my heart towards people that came to this church because I thought they were all stuck up. And this was when I was in high school. I didn't really know anybody here. And I was like, they're all just super rich and super whatever. And you know what I was? Wrong. I thought everybody was fake. I thought everybody was phony. I didn't think anybody had any substance here. But praise God, I submitted my will and came to this church because I found a room full of people who have changed my life. Because you guys love Jesus and you love him well and you talk about the hard things and you bring things to light, you bring sin into the light so that it can't remain in darkness. But we also champion our, our love for Jesus here together. It's changed my life. Both friends and students alike, it has changed my life to know that there's people here that can love Jesus and love him well and can admit when they're wrong and can know when it's time to repent but also know when it's time to get in, in the secret place with Jesus and have him fix and mend our hearts so that we can bless others with our lives. So the band's gonna come up here and I want, I want you guys to just ponder on this just for a second. If you've had a dark cloud or just swirling thoughts or things that you can't get out of your mind of like, gosh, I keep doing that thing and I keep going back to that thing and I just wanna get rid of this feeling because I feel like when Sophia was talking about that whitewashed tomb, that's how I feel. On the outside, I'm beautiful, but on the inside, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what I'm struggling with. They're gonna play and I'm just gonna give us a few moments in the presence of God, you and him. Nobody around you. Don't be looking to your left and to your right. Don't try to like listen in on their conversation with the Lord. Because this is not our time to be Pharisees that are trying to point the finger at other people and be like, well, she did worse than I did and he's you know, not as good at basketball as I am, whatever it may be. This is time for you to bring that thing that you've been carrying for a really long time to the feet of Jesus and say, thus far and no further, it's done. And Lord, when that temptation tries to swing its way back around, I have you to back me up, not to grab it and turn it into another stronghold in life. So I want you guys to close your eyes, take a moment with heaven, let the presence of God calm your heart. Because I know while, some of you, while I was talking, some of you guys were freaking out like, oh my gosh, she's reading my mail. That's me. And so I want you guys to just, whether it has to be a physical action of holding out your hands to the Lord, handing him that thing or just in your heart, Lord, we give you that sin. We give you that ball and chain that has tried to hold us down forever. Because we know, Father, that if we love you with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls and we love our neighbor as ourselves, you are going to strengthen us and empower us to be who you've called us to be in this life.
Thank you, Jesus. Father, we know that if not for Jesus, none of this is possible. We know that repentance without Jesus is just another sacrifice after another sacrifice after another sacrifice that ultimately leads to death. But through you, Jesus, the reason you're called the lamb that was slain was you were the final sacrifice for our sin. Lord, you draw us unto repentance because of your kindness. Father, we thank you that without Jesus, we're nothing, but in him we have all things. Whatever's in your heart, guys, you give it to him right now. He's ready and available to take that thing, to take that gross thing that you just can't get rid of. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Guys, it's God's kindness that draws us into repentance. So let the kindness of God wash over you as we worship together. Amen? Come on. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Calvary HSM podcast. We would love if you could connect with us on social media using the handle at CalvaryHSM805 on Instagram or going to our website, calvarywestlake.org slash HSM. We always have fun things going on and we want you to be a